Hi, I'm Alex Bellinger, and this is Small Biz Pod on Monday, the tenth of November. Well, it's a very blustery day here in the UK. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, we've got a fantastic interview for you, which was recorded a little earlier on this year with a classic British brand, a brand that has been bought by the Queen of England and Jennifer Lopez. So you can't say fairer enough than that. It's a really interesting interview about how to how important branding is for a very traditional British product and how one man took over a failing business and turned it into a success. Very, very well worth listening to, so stay tuned for that. Other than that, I thought I'd do a round-up of uh, some comments, recent comments that people have sent in via email, and uh, we'll have more book reviews, audio book reviews from listeners in future episodes coming up soon. So, uh, one last thing, nearly a thousand people on the Small Biz Pod Facebook group, which is very, very cool. So thank you all for joining that. And it's beginning to, there's a lot of comments and posts to the wall and all of that kind of Facebook stuff. Um, I don't think you can throw sheep in groups, but anyway, uh, do, if you've not signed up to the Small Biz Pod Facebook group, click on the Facebook link on Small Biz Pod's page, which is smallbizpod.co.uk or our homepage. That'll take you through. So it'd be great to see you there and that would be cool yeah if we could get to a thousand i'll be very impressed so thanks everybody okay uh, and just before we head into the interview with silvercross a great british pram manufacturer let's hear from our sponsors and now for this week's sponsor section in which Graham Grinnell of GW Associates, who is a member of Alibaba.com's e-trading platform, talks about how he is building a very interesting niche business. Our first product was called Garlic Twist, which we sourced from the USA. We then wanted to look at uh, and source other products from around the world, and we came up with Alibaba. I was actually amazed after I'd registered with Alibaba that the response was just uh, overwhelming. So we now source from uh, primarily from China at the moment. There are new products coming online. Uh, I think at the moment we've now introduced the garlic peeler. That comes in from China. We've got stainless steel soap to remove the odors of garlic. We're just bringing in a new one, which is uh, flexible lids for food. Um, It replaces cling film. We get a daily report coming in from Alibaba of people who have picked our details up and and give us the, the products that they're doing. And then from that, there are new products which I haven't seen. Uh, which again expands the marketplace even more. Margins are there, but it, it is really about volume. Again, with the Chinese or Asian market, you're looking at a quantity of sort of 5,000 at a time to bring in, and it's got to come in by ocean. And that probably is one of the only sort of drawbacks. It just takes so long, so you do have to hold quite substantial stocks. Everything is done by telegraphic transfer, so your cash flow is uh, is really important. We sell primarily through uh, kitchen stores. We also do food exhibitions, food festivals. 
which are good food, Scotland, London, Birmingham. We do local food festivals such as Ludlow, East Midlands Food Festival, all of those sort of things where people are interested in, in, should we say, foodie products. We've just had the best exhibition we've had since we started up in Glasgow. But when people talk about this credit crunch, it drives me insane. I, I felt at the show, people were there, and as I said to people, don't keep your money in the bank because they're all going bust. You might as well spend it. So there you are. That was the edited highlights of my interview with Graham Grinnell of GW Associates. Do check out the full version. I'll put a link in the show notes. And do also explore what Alibaba.com has to offer, whether you are selling a product to the massive markets in China or India, or whether you're looking for inspiration for that perfect product to import or to sell in the UK or globally. Uh, head on to smallbizpod.co.uk and click on one of those banners and support our sponsors and potentially find yourself a great business niche too. And now straight into our interview with Alan Halsell of Silvercross. Okay, so as many of you know, I'm a father with two small kids. I'm also a bit of a fan of manufacturing businesses, which many people think is a bit bizarre. Lots of people assume that I'm into kind of high-tech uh, web startups, but I do like those. But I have a passion for manufacturing businesses too. So it's a great pleasure to uh, be in London today with Alan Halsell, who is um, chairman of Silver Cross, which is one of Britain's best-known pram manufacturers. Alan, uh, welcome to Small Biz Pod. Thank you very much. Delighted to be here today. And uh... Hopefully, we can have a bit of a chat about uh, business and Silver Cross. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know you've got your own your own kind of entrepreneurial and business journey, which we'd we'd like to talk about too. But just for for those of who aren't familiar with the with sort of Silver Cross, it's a very the the, the two sort of key, perhaps best known brands are the kind of Balmoral and Kensington. I think they're called. Describe those prams, uh, if you can, for listeners who I'm sure will begin to picture them. Well, the Balmoral and the Kensington have been. Uh, produced by Silver Cross uh, in various guises since 1877. They're generally referred to as the Rolls-Royce of prams. And if I had a pound for every time somebody came up to me uh, and said, gosh, I know Silver Cross, I was in one as a baby, uh, I'd be a very rich man. Uh, the Balmoral and the Kensington are beautifully handmade uh, products produced. I think they're the only pram now manufactured in the UK. We manufacture them in Yorkshire. And they are quite stunningly beautiful. Uh, they're handmade, hand-painted. They go to the stars, such as Paul McCartney, such as um, uh, the royal family, etc. And and we export them to probably 25, 30 countries all over the world. So it is a, a truly tremendous uh, UK manufactured product. And it's a uh, it's become almost like a it's a kind of style icon for babies, isn't it? <laughs> almost a style icon. I mean, it's 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 totally impractical for babies, to be honest. I mean, <laughs> you can't put it in the back of a car. You can't. You know, you need a, a pretty pretty decent sized house to get them in. But they are they are beautiful. I mean, uh, the, the the value of them holds up. Um, they are you know, quite literally handmade. They are by far the, have the by far the best suspension of any pram in the world. And we still get demand. We're getting letters from Japan, from America. And only recently, I don't know if you saw in Hello magazine, but J-Lo was there with her twins in two Balmorals. I mean, A-list celebrities, they are absolutely the style, the style, the fashionable pram that they should have. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, um, it's, great. it's a great story. But 
what is perhaps more interesting, I guess, for, for Small Biz Pod listeners is that the, the, the brand and the business was, to all intents and purposes, failing um, before you came in to, to take over the business. Why was it failing? Um, well, it actually wasn't failing, to be honest. It had failed. Uh, it was in administration. Uh, when I came along, I, I, I was advised... I was at a, at a lunch, a Bank of England lunch, when I was advised on my BlackBerry by email that uh, Silvercross was in administration. It was in administration because it had a lot of difficulties, the, the previous company, the previous ownership, to do with some stock, stock issues. Um, and everything was manufactured uh, in, in Leeds, or just outside Leeds in, the, in their old factory in Geisley. Um, and I think they had a lot of, a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of financial stock issues, which I don't want to go into now. It was in administration. I, I put in a bid for it because I knew or I felt I knew that a brand like Silver Cross, what a brilliant brand name. Uh, they don't make them. They don't grow on trees. It's got heritage. It's got design. It's got fashion. And I, I thought to myself that if I could sort of bring some of those, some of those uh, brand iconic uh, features, uh, to, to the future of Silver Cross, we could make something of it. And so in 2002, I purchased the brand only, the IP, and, and a small amount of tooling from the administrator in Leeds. One might anticipate that the, you know, the, the well-known iconic prams, um, which, as you say, are a little bit impractical for everyday use and perhaps more style icons than anything else, are a bit like the kind of silver lady on the front of the Rolls-Royce. They're kind of a, a symbol of what silver light is, but perhaps... Sorry, I, there's my technology, my technology thing coming off. Microsoft has just launched something called Silverlight. Silver Cross. Um, they're kind of icon of Silver Cross, um, and... But they perhaps don't represent what the business is really about now. How did you change the business? R- rather, than, if I can just go back one second, you mentioned the Silver Lady on the Rolls Royce. I'd actually uh, allude the, the the Balmoral and the Kensington, totally impractical but beautiful product, to maybe the some of the Nike, the top end Nike trainers. They don't sell a great deal of them, but they encapsulate the brand and with yeah. the brand's performance and the brand everything about the brand. The Balmoral and the Kensington encapsulate the brand. What I've done since then is to is to develop with English some some truly brilliant English designers uh, some great new uh, lifestyle product that it actually is totally practical. It does go in the back of the car. Um, it's it's stylized based on the Silver Cross heritage, but it's it's modern. It's up to date in the same way that the the Mr. Wilson, the famous postman in 1877, he ha- he in, he invented the Balmoral and the Kensington. They were modern in those days. We're modern today. We have modern car seats, prams, strollers, uh, etc. And that's, that is what we're doing, developing them uh, with English designers, English marketing in our English head office. And manufactured in China. Now, was that, a, was that a hard decision to make or a simple decision? I guess a simple business decision, was it? Very simple business decision. I myself have been in the toy business for, for over 25 years uh, I first visited Shanghai in 1979, just after the Cultural Revolution. Uh, I know China pretty well. It was pretty obvious to me that uh, we had to be in the center of low-cost quality manufacturing, and that's what China offered us. Uh, the added value, however, comes 
from the brand, the British English brand. The added value comes from the English design. Uh, we are not using Italian designers. We don't, we don't show ourselves up as an Italian company. We are English through and through and the English marketing. And as a result of the English marketing, English design added value to the Chinese manufacturing, we can now sell and we are selling all over the world, not only our heritage product, the Balmoral and the Kensington, but also our beautiful lifestyle product. Um, now you mentioned there your 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 long experience in terms of uh, international trade. What, what's your what's your background, Alan? I know you, you you've kind of from the, the the kind of toy as you said toy manufacturing uh, businesses. Tell us a little bit about your own business journey and how you ended up in Shanghai in 1970 whatever. Um, in 1979. Yeah. My own business journey was, uh, believe it or not, I qualified as a lawyer in 1978 uh, and was quite happy and was looking forward to a, a legal career um, when uh, my father beckoned me and said, look, we have a toy family toy business, been going since just after the war. Would I like to, to, to join? I said I would for six months and I stayed until uh, September 2006. And the reason that I was in Shanghai was basically that uh, we we were manufacturers in the UK originally, and then we went, like a lot of other people, in the late 70s over to China and Hong Kong. And so as a result of that, I developed the toy business. It was a family toy business. And we developed and we, we, we had offices in the end in Hong Kong, uh, in the UK, and we supplied America all over the world with our, our design toys. But... What I wanted to do more than anything else when I acquired Silver Cross was to get involved with a brand. In our toy business, we were licensing brands, Batman, Spider-Man, whatever, mm. Star Wars. What I wanted to do was have my own brand and see how we could develop a brand uh, going forward. The future, I think, for business today in consumer products is to have brands. And it doesn't matter where you look nowadays, it's those brands that add value. Everybody can go to China. Well, not everybody. People can go to China. They can go to Vietnam. They can go to the Philippines. And there's some tremendous world-class manufacturing sites. So people can acquire product. They can consume a product pretty easily out there if they've got the right designers, the right marketing tools, etc. What they can't do, however, is if they haven't got the brand. And if they look after that brand and develop that brand, that I think is the future for, for consumer products businesses. And that's why I wanted to have a brand. Is manufacturing then in a very difficult place in the UK? In the UK, yes. I, well, I, my personal opinion is that, that the low-cost um, low labor, um, labor unit in, in China and in the Far East has take, totally taken the, the UK manufacturing, unless it's very high-end high manufacturing, um, out, 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 out of business. And that can be seen over many, many years. I don't think that's actually a bad thing because I think that we add so much more value in the UK. You know, whether you talk about the City of London or whether you talk about technology businesses in Cambridge, whatever, there's a huge amount of value added. And that, that, is, that is what the British economy, in my opinion, is all about now. And actually, low-cost manufacturing is now in the, in the Pacific Basin. It's quite interesting. What I do think is interesting um, at the moment is, as we sit here today, uh, with the high commodity prices... And obviously, uh, a diff difficult economic environment is that a number of manufacturers in China are struggling. Mm -hmm. And I actually do think that there's a, a definite change in the, in, the, um, in the strength or the power of bargaining of the large retailers throughout the world. The Walmarts, the Tescos, the Carrefours have all, in my opinion, always been pretty, pretty big bullies. 
uh, uh, against their suppliers. Uh, and certainly I've got first-hand knowledge of that fact uh, because, of course, they have all the, they have all the cards in, in their favor. Mm. Uh, but I think that it's going, to, it's going to become much tougher for them because I think the manufacturing environment is constricting quite a lot. At the same time, you have all the ethical issues in manufacturing. I don't know, there's a program about Primark yeah. the other day. Uh, I was quite surprised when I watched that. I mean, don't tell me that Primark didn't know that the subcontracting uh, didn't go on. Uh, everybody knows that retailers know that subcontracting happens. Everybody knows that the subcontractors uh, or, or can or have in the past, I'm not saying to do any more, have used sort of slightly dubious methods. Uh, so I think it's going to get tougher and tougher and tougher on the manufacturing side. Um, but it, what it does mean is that there'll be con contraction of manufacturers in the Far East, which I think might actually uh, have the slightly the the um, the equilibrium going going potentially back towards towards producers of product rather than retailers of product. Mm, interesting. You've done business in China before we leave China. You've done business in China for 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 many many years. What's your advice? Just some, some, you know, a couple of key things that you've learned about doing business successfully in China over that period. I don't think there is any lesson you can give to anybody about doing business anywhere in the world, and I don't think China is any different. Um, I'm a great believer that your word is your bond, and the Chinese, uh, more than anybody, in my knowledge, accept that. Uh, they're not big businessmen usually that we deal with. They're small businesses, family businesses, and and it's it's crucial that people understand that the, the, you, you you turn them over once and that'll be it. Mm. You know, the, it, it is the way to deal with them. The way to deal with anybody in business, I think, and China's no different to anybody else, is is that you. I think your word is your bond, and you act in a moral, uh, contractual way with them, and don't try and turn them over. And I think you will get the best out of them. They look also for long term relationships. They're not interested in short term. The ones I've met anyway in the past, they're not interested in short term. They're much more interested in long term relationships with, with, uh, in business. And we find that uh, over many, many years, say certainly over nearly 30 years dealing in China, um, both with our own offices out there, dealing with third parties, uh, dealing with uh, NGOs, whatever, then you, know, you, you do tend to find that, uh, that they are in my opinion, what I've found anyway, is they are very, very honorable people. They, they tell you it as they tell you. They don't like sometimes to give you bad news. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't like to lose face. And you do have, but you mustn't lose your temper with them. You mustn't get angry with them because it's a lot, you know, they don't like that. They don't expect, they don't expect you to do that. And um, you know, let them make profit. I believe let them make profits and they let you make profits. And find a good intermediary or kind of once you've established yourself, presumably you're into dealing direct. Yeah, we try and deal direct. Uh, intermediaries in the 70s and 80s when the communication was by telex uh, and by and by uh, surface post mail, obviously it was much, much harder in those days to communicate directly. Uh, but nowadays with the opening up of China since uh, Deng Xiaoping's time, with the opening up of uh, commercial operations out there, Always, always, always try and go direct to the manufacturer rather than go through a third party. It's not always possible, I accept. But uh, if you can do that, uh, then I think that you can sort out a lot of the issues directly with the manufacturer. They're producing your product, hopefully, and you can work, work your way through it. One, one, one issue that I will tell you is becoming a bigger and bigger issue for, for, uh, for, us, for us in the West is that the Chinese home market is growing quite rapidly. Mm. 
And we've certainly found that uh, factories in the last two or three years are getting some very, very big orders for, for their own market. And you know, potentially that's going to get, again, it's potentially going to mean that the, that the manufacturer is going to uh, be less interested in supplying at a hugely discounted price masses and masses of quantities of, of product, consumer product to the big retailers when they can get higher profitability from smaller runs or even larger runs in their own Far Eastern market where obviously there's a considerable amount of economic growth and, and you know, why, why, why cut your own prices to supply, if you like, Walmart in America when you can, you know, you can make a, a higher, higher price out of supplying your own domestic market and that's going to happen more and more. Which brings us nicely on to uh, kind of uh, your or Silver Cross's trade internationally. You won recently the Fast Sunday Times Fast Track 100 um, award for international uh, trade. How did how did you develop that? Was Silver Cross trading internationally, or is that something that you've brought to the business? No, Silver Cross uh, years and years ago traded internationally, but. Um, when we started manufacturing in China, one of the other advantages is you can then sell, of course, out of China directly to consumer mar- other consumer markets. And we decided that if we're producing our own product, which we think is great product, why not just sell in the UK? But why not sell it into Japan, mm. K- South Korea, um, Taiwan, yeah, Western Europe, etc.? So we set up distributors in many territories, or, or in some cases, just retail customers. We have a marketing office based in Hong Kong where our marketing um, team for, the, for Southeast Asia work out of. And um, yeah, we, 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 we feel we can develop. But it's, don't get me wrong, this is a very small part of our business at the moment. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it is not, it would be wrong of me to say it is, it, is, it, is, it is a large part of our business. We were delighted to win the award because we are actually working jolly hard to try and break into lots of markets. And it's not that easy uh, because you've got, the interesting thing about our, our business is it's very highly regulated because, of course, we're dealing with babies mm. and safety, and every single country seems to have their own standards. Mm. So if you, have a, if you have a product that conforms to ASTM for America, it doesn't conform to Britain because they want something different in Britain. Australia demands something else. For instance, they just ask for red brakes now on all their products, and then Japan wants something else. So there's a lot of expense in... in, 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 in ensuring that your products conform to standards throughout in the various different countries. But if you can do that and you support it with a bit of marketing, Mm. as we try and support our distributors with marketing, then then I think the opportunities are there, especially as a fact that a brand like Silver Cross goes back to 1877, goes back to royal family. Mm. You know, there's Mm. a, there's a great, there's a great, uh, in the far East, especially a great, great feeling for brands, English brands. Um, You know, you think of the mini, you think of Paul Smith, and that's where I think we can we can sit in mm. there, and certainly in Japan, they 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 they're just starting to 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 get to grips with Silver Cross, and they seem to love they seem to love us. Just quickly reversing, I know we're dotting around this conversation a little, but um, so be it. <laughs> you rescued the business, you identified it as a strong brand, and the brand is obviously key here. You've rescued a British icon, if you like. When you go into a business that has failed, was it simply a matter of getting the manufacturing sorted abroad, or what did you practically have to undertake in order to get it back on its feet? And how is it doing now? The first thing I had to do was to get a chief executive because uh, I, there's no way that I have the ability to, to, to run the business day to day. Nor uh, So I had to get a chief executive and I was extremely fortunate in the fact that the previous sales director of the company was available 
And he, he was going to take another job when I first met him, but I persuaded him to come on board and he became my chief executive. And the first year, I think our sales were about £250,000. Uh, and we had him and a designer and a quality controller, and that was it. And the first job I did was give them an air ticket to China, gave them some contacts I had and said, get out there and find a great partner to work with. And that's what they did. Uh, the next thing we did was we, we employed part-time to begin with a superb um, product designer who was, you know, was really at top of the tree. And within six months, he joined us full-time. And he is now Phil, uh, Phil Taylor, who is um, head of our, our design team, of uh, all our designers now. So he got a chief executive, got a designer, got a marketing man. It's people. Mm. Get the right mm. people mm. and things will follow. Don't get the right people and you're stuck. And business now is tremendous. I mean, we're having a great run, um, really are. And uh, you know, we won the Sunday Times Award, which was you know fabulous to 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 get an award in front of Richard Branson and everybody. That was great. And uh, yeah, long may, it, long may it last, but it's all about getting the right people. How do you, I suppose it's a bit like being a startup all over again. How, but how do you persuade the right people, qualities people, to come to a business that has failed? It's the challenge, I guess. Uh, yeah, it's surprisingly easily actually, yeah. because because they all believe in the brand. Yeah. And and uh, you know, if you have that brand, then it, it, it's not difficult to persuade them to come along. The vision I presented them was that we had a we had the brand. We had to go and, and outsource our manufacturing, uh, apart from the Balmoral and Kensington. We had to outsource it, um, and come on board. I'm prepared to invest money into this business. You come and back me, I'll back you, and together. And it's surprising, you know, when you get a small team uh, of people together, how, you know, they all, we all motivated each other mm. um, in the first two or three years. I mean, we really did work out of one little office. Mm. And, and I think that's, in a way, that's, um, it's not difficult to get people if you can, you know, if, you, if you've got the enthusiasm, if you believe in the brand, as I obviously do, and I obviously did at the time when I bought it out of my own money, uh, you know, then, then, then it's surprising how people... Come, come along and come aboard with us. One last thing. I know that, that your brand is vital and you're very careful about where your products are stocked and who stocks them. And um, I understand you're quite a, quite a hard, hard bargainer when it comes to uh, dealing with some of the multiples. How, uh, how, how do you find that, that rather tense relationship? And it's not, I mean, it's not, I'm, not, I'm sure it's not that tense for Silver Cross, but it's tense for virtually every, as you alluded to earlier, virtually every supplier, whether you're a... You know, a pig farmer or a, or Nike, I guess. I think I think you're right. I think it is. Um, we're very fortunate at Silver Cross in the fact that um, you know we 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 paddle our own canoe, if you like. Um, what's the most important thing for the brand? The most important thing for the brand is to be. Well, one of the most important things is to be in the right locations for the consumer, and to have a nursery brand like Silver Cross. It's got to be. It's got to be. I believe sold where it can be demonstrated, tested, tried, etc. Now the internet is a challenge for us. Of course, it's a challenge because people are putting more and more on the internet, more and more on eBay. Only yesterday, I don't know if you read the court case in France mm. with LMVH and the perfumes, and it's 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 going to get worse and worse and worse, or harder for brand owners. My view is very very straightforward. If you can demonstrate the product, if the staff can be educated, demonstrate it, and they have a website, fine. But 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 I'm a great believer that the that brand has to be sold in the right locations 
And yes, you're right. We are put under pressure sometimes by some of the major retailers. But, you know, long term, you've got to look at long term business and you've got to actually hold your, you know, you've got to, in my opinion, and it's not easy to do. I accept it's not easy to do, but you've got to hold your own principles mm. and you've got to be firm with, about your own principles. And if you believe that the Silver Cross route that we're taking at the moment, which is into the specialized, dedicated nursery market, is where we should be, uh, where, where, where the staff are trained on our product, because it's not an easy product to, to understand all the time, where the service levels are, are great. If we can do all of that, then, then, then that's fine. I don't see a, a Silver Cross product necessarily uh, in a in a food in a food retailer or whatever because I don't necessarily think that's where where the consumer can test it where where our consumers the silver cross consumer who for me is the most important person mm. in our supply chain the consumer who buys a silver cross product I want them to to feel comfortable happy with with the retailer the retail environment the service the education that they're given on the product by the, the retailer, all of that is part and parcel. Walking down a shelf and picking up a, a, a pram or a buggy or a car seat, in my opinion, is not where Silver Cross should be for our consumer's benefit. Not for Silver Cross's benefit, for our consumer's benefit. And of course, that, that is where I have some issues with one or two of our, our fellow uh, uh, re larger retailers. Um, but owning the business myself, uh, I feel that we, we can steer the correct course uh, for Silver Cross brand for the future, because presumably you and your potentially I don't know your early your early uh, employees or were, were in, invested in the business. So to that extent, you don't have any shareholders by yourselves to please in that context. Otherwise, the pressure to be in Tesco's might be considerable. Yes, of course. If you are have a large number of shareholders, you're on the public market, the AIM market, or whatever, uh, or VC backed, then the pressure to get sales is huge. But, you know, you know, I mean, you look at LMVH and you look at what they, they've done to fight eBay. You know, I mean, I mean, whether they'll be successful long term, I don't know. But but you've got to actually have some, you know, you've got to actually have some some principles if you're looking after a brand. Because otherwise, you know, do, do people really want to see and, and, and think that they can get all this, all the education and all the information in a Tesco for a Silver Cross product? I don't think they do really. Um, you know, and I don't think Tesco want it and I don't think we want it. And, and I just think that, yes, you're right. I mean, we don't have any outside shareholders. The business is totally owned by myself and my brother and, and we take the long term view. And finally, uh, it's quite interesting to note that you have quite a, you have a blog. You are one of the uh, relatively rare um, businesses that blog in the same way that um, Innocent Drinks does, in the same way that um, kind of Web 2.0 trendy uh, business card company called Moo do. You've got YouTube videos of photo shoots and, and uh, for, 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 for the prams and sort of celebrity spotting. It's a bit like reading a kind of... Um, Pram Heat magazine at times. Do you? Th how do you? How do you? How have you kind of uh, embraced that? And secondly, is it? Do you think it's possible in the long run that the internet for manufacturers and uh, is a disintermediating tool um, to find a new channel to market to get around some of the large multiples? Can you tell me what disintermediate? <laughs> yeah, sorry. That's just a. Is it a? Is it a kind of? Can you? Skirt, skirt round the large multiples by selling direct. <laughs> thank, you for, thank you for explaining that. Yeah. Uh, I was only educated poorly, I'm afraid. Um, yeah, you, to, to be truthful, I think you're absolutely right. I think, I think the internet is opening up so many different avenues. Very, very frightening and very, very exciting. Um, our website, uh, I have to 
tell you now, I can tell you that we, we will have the most fabulous new home pages on our website in a few weeks' time, invested a lot of money into some classic, classic, brilliant photography. Um, uh, blogging, yeah, I mean, we love, we, lo we want to hear from our consumers. Mm. We want to have a community of Silver Cross users. Mm. I said a few, a few minutes ago that the Silver Cross consumer is absolutely vital for Silver Cross. And we want to talk to them. And they tell us, they already tell us what's wrong. I read, I personally read every email that comes into the website. They come on my BlackBerry and I, I read them every single day. And we get, we get about 50, 60 every day. And I read them all. Um, so we can know what our consumers are telling us. We know, because don't forget, there's only be a few that will email us, but the vast majority won't. But it'll be quite a good indication. Yeah. So we know what our consumer is telling us. And therefore, we can adapt. What, what does the consumer want? And, and so I think the blogging, the website is brilliant for us picking up information um, about what the consumers like, don't like, think of Silver Cross. And I'm getting some great reaction from our website and our blogs. We are really getting, you know, we're really delighted. You know, I'm delighted to tell you that you know, it is looking very exciting. And I think our website is different to any other. Um, as is our, I don't know if you've seen our brand books, but our brand books are slightly different to, to, yeah. to everybody else's. They're not catalogues. They're actually wanting, we want people to enjoy the Silver Cross experience. And that sounds so trite, but it actually is what we're aiming at. And, and of course, we have no shops, we have no expenses, we have no rents, rates, so we can invest more money probably than our competitors in the Silver Cross experience, if you like. And we've just started off the Your Silver Cross Club, for instance, where you know, people can get benefits of, of, of being part of the Silver Cross um, team, if you like. And, and also they can give us some ideas on, and, and competitions, they can win prizes and they can talk to each other. And we're looking at one or two other quite exciting, in fact, very exciting, new web developments over the next um, next couple of years. Alan Hansel, thank you ever so much. Thank you very much indeed. So there we are, a terrific interview with Alan, I reckon, and a lot of a lot of practical advice in there that I, I found really, really interesting and useful, and I hope you do too. So on to uh, a few comments. Um, first one from Edward Beresford Bolton, who uh, is, uh, is a, running his startup, I think. And uh, he says uh, he's just discovered the podcast and he's nearly finished going through the library, uh, loves them, thinks it's a great service for entrepreneurs and has a suggestion for a cast which many of those thinking of making the jump could find useful. He says how to go about launching your website or new business and out of the box guerrilla marketing. I think that's actually a really uh, cool idea. Certainly the guerrilla marketing thing. There are some kind of quite high profile marketers out there that I'm hoping I could get on the show. So yeah, let's uh, let's put that one down as a, a marker probably now for uh, first part of next year because we're pretty packed in terms of interviews done up until Christmas now. But yeah, that would be really great, Edward. Uh, we'll, we'll sort that out. So thanks for that. And if you've got any comments and or suggestions for uh, themes or topics or people to interview, just email me at alex at smallbizpod.co.uk in the same way as all of you guys out there who are recording uh, book review interviews. Uh, you know, participate, contribute. Uh, it's always really, really, really uh, great to hear your views and to have your comments because it really does shape the way Small Biz Pod evolves. So thanks very much for that. Talking of which... Just a, another, you know, the diversity of listeners I really, really love. Um, Admir Rusidovich uh, from Manchester writes to say how, how 
much he enjoys the podcast, and that's fine. Um, but he also mentions that he's running a business, uh, which is a fishing tackle shop. Now, I used to do course fishing when I was a kid. So actually, I have a great uh, fond memories for fishing tackle shops, which I spent some time in when I was very small. Um, so, uh, Admir, thank you ever so much for, uh, for that and, and for letting me know about your business. Uh, and so, yeah. Good stuff. And then finally, from Ian Forbes, who I believe has all sorts of startup ideas mulling around at the back of his head. Uh, again, just to say uh, thank you for the podcast. Keep up the good work. And I have to mention him because he especially likes the eclectic exit tunes at the end of each episode. Long live East German Techno. I couldn't agree more. East German Techno, very, very cool. Talking of music... Uh, we don't have East German techno this week, but I have a very cool track, and it's called Twilight Harvest. It features uh, Ghislaine Poirier, and it's by a band called Inside a Mind. <laughs> 